passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. I want to start with a question this morning, a uh, very similar question that we wrestled with last week, and that is, how do we handle unjust suffering? How do we deal with the hard times of life? And when we experience those in our lives, how do we respond? We wrestled with this question last week, if you were here with us, and this morning we're going to continue that discussion as we continue working our way through First Peter. Last week we were in First Peter chapter 3 verses 13 through 17. And as we worked our way through that passage, we saw the key to understanding how to deal with suffering that we experience in our lives. And today is no different. We're going to continue talking about how we suffer well as Christians. If you remember last week, we started with a, with a discussion on how we, how we even suffer in the United States for our faith as Christians. And we, we don't suffer in the same way that, that people in the Middle East or, or in Africa or in Asia suffer. And, and I mentioned kind of a, a feeling that I have of a tendency to get guilty because I begin to wonder whether I'm really a, a good Christian because I'm not suffering in the way that we see over in the Middle East or in, or in Africa. And, and wrestling with what do we even do with passages like this? How do we apply this to our lives when it tells us how to handle suffering in our lives? And one of the things we talked about was that Christians suffer in the United States today too. And we shouldn't downplay the suffering that we experience when we are slandered or when we're ridiculed or mocked in our lives. The emotional suffering of Christians in the United States and all around the world is nothing to downplay or to make little of. See, God calls us to endure hard times in our lives. An example of this suffering that we experience uh, here in the United States, uh, back in November, there was a, uh, a teaching assistant at Marquette University, which is, is located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Maybe you guys heard this story, but this teaching assistant uh, was, was an ethics uh, teacher and actually mentioned in her ethics class that no one was going to be allowed to share uh, any sort of uh, viewpoint or perspective that was against homosexuality, against same-sex marriage. And so the, the students were unable to do that. One of the other professors at Marquette decided to write a blog post about that and really challenging her on her censorship of the freedom of speech. And after he wrote that blog post, he was suspended. Uh, he was actually banned from campus, not allowed to return to campus, all because he didn't agree with or challenged the narrative of our mainstream culture. And I don't know if, if that man, that professor uh, who wrote that blog post, if he was a Christian, I don't know if the, the basis for his argument was from Scripture or for some other reason. But when I look at that story, I, I apply it to the suffering that sometimes Christians experience here in the United States, and I, I wonder... How would I respond in that situation? What would I do if, if I was unjustly banned from teaching at a college campus all because I didn't uh, go along with the narrative of mainstream culture? Here in the United States, we Christians do experience suffering. 
One of the things that we talked about last week was the key to enduring these hardships. And the key that we saw was to look at Jesus, to stop focusing on the things that give us fear in this world, to stop focusing on those who are hurting us, to focus on our circumstances, and instead focus on Jesus. See, our lives are meant to give him glory. And when we endure, and when we focus on him in the midst of those difficult times, God is shown to be glorious. We show how much we value him, how much worth we place in him when we choose to endure for his sake. And that's really the five second, or maybe it was, you know, two minutes uh, version of last week. God calls us to look at Jesus, not at our detractors. Look at Jesus is the key to enduring hard times and suffering. This morning, we build on that foundation. We continue looking at why Jesus will help us. Or in other words, another way of putting this question is, why can Christians endure hardship and suffering when they are faced with it? This morning, we're going to come back to one truth time and time again. And I just want to share it with us here right at the very beginning. And that is this. Jesus is our hope in hard times. Jesus is our hope in hard times. Why do we endure? Why do we look to Christ in the midst of our hardships and sufferings? It's because he is our hope. And as we explore this text, as we explore this passage, one of the things that we're going to see is there are five different reasons that Peter gives us of why Christ is our hope. And so that's going to be our roadmap this morning as we are working our way through this passage. If, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in verses 18 through 22. But before we do that, uh, since this passage is so connected to the previous one, we're actually going to reread verses 13 through 17. So uh, please follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 13. It says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In this section, what we covered last week, Peter reminds us that God calls us as Christians to do good. That's his calling on our lives. It's not a conditional calling. It doesn't mean when we want to, we will do these things. And the good news is when we do good, when we are focused on doing good deeds in our community, most of the time there will not be a negative response. Most of the time, our good deeds will be met with great enthusiasm. But then Peter also mentions that even if you do experience slander or reviling or hardship in response to those good things that you do, God will use them. Last week, we looked at the story of Joseph, who was of the Maasai tribe, and how God called him to go and bring the, uh, the gospel to a village uh, that was a far remote village. And he walks into this gospel three times to pre present the gospel to them. And three times he is met with opposition and actually stoned and left for dead. Miraculously, three times he, he recovers and goes back to this village. On the fourth time, as he goes back to this village for the last time, they are so shocked, so in awe of the fact that this man keeps coming back to them that they put down their stones and they listen and the entire village comes to faith in Jesus. Or, or another example today in the United States, uh, a couple years ago, uh, 
there was a big controversy about Chick-fil-A that came out, if you remember this. Uh, it came out that Dan Cathy, who was the owner uh, and president and CEO, all, all those things of, of Chick-fil-A, uh, believed in, in biblical uh, view of marriage. And so there was a lot of hostility from mainstream culture. And actually the LGBT community began to uh, actually uh, boycott Chick-fil-A. And, and most of them did a really good job uh, of doing it in a very civil way. Uh, they, were, they were very civil about it. But there were some that, that didn't do a great job of that. And one of these examples is this YouTube video that went viral. Maybe you saw it. Uh, there was this man uh, who was driving through the, the drive-thru uh, of Chick-fil-A. And when he gets to the window, he begins berating this teenage girl who's, who's half of his age about how could you work for such a terrible company? How are you such a terrible person that you are working here? And he goes on and on and on. And this woman responds with grace. This woman responds uh, gently. And this man posts this video on YouTube. And he looked like a fool afterwards. And actually, the entire country came up in like an uproar about what is this guy thinking? And it began to raise questions about how did this woman, how did this girl, why did this girl respond in the way that she did? I don't know if she was a Christian or not, but that's what Peter is talking about here. When we do good, when we are focused on being like Jesus in the midst of slander and, and hard times, it will provide us with opportunities and questions. Those questions lead to a chance for us to share with others the hope that we have within us. That's how Peter ended last week. He focuses on how God and focusing on him and our hardships can lead to hope in the midst of hard times. And that's where we pick up this morning. Again, if you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along as I pick up in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. I mentioned that this passage gives us five reasons for hoping in Jesus in the midst of hard times. The first one is found here in verse 18, and that's this, that Jesus' suffering shows us that God can use suffering. Jesus' suffering shows us that God can use our suffering. One of the biggest tendencies that we have, I think, when we begin to experience hardship and begin to suffer, is we think that our suffering is meaninglessness, that there's no point or purpose to what we are going through, that nothing good will come of what we are experiencing. But Peter challenges that belief here. Peter challenges that belief throughout the book of 1 Peter. He reminds us that God can use suffering in ways that we never thought possible. And Peter says, you want an example? Well, look no further than Jesus. Here, Peter tells us that Jesus is a model for our suffering. What did Jesus do when he was reviled? Did he lash out? Did he endure it for a long period of time? And then finally, he just snapped and he began to revile in return, begin to pay back everything that people had done to him? No. Jesus faithfully and obediently followed God. He continued to do what was right. He was stuck on God's plan. He was focused on how he could follow God's plan, even when it cost him everything. And what Peter is telling us here is that Christians should do the exact same thing. Christians should live like Jesus did in the midst of our hardship. But Peter doesn't just mention that Jesus is a model. He also mentions that Jesus is an encouragement for us. 
See, when bad things happen, our natural response is to say, well, I must be doing something wrong. There's either something that I should be doing that I'm not, or I'm doing something that I shouldn't. And the reason why I'm experiencing hard times is because God is punishing me for that. But Peter says, look at Jesus. It's encouraging for us to see that a righteous, innocent man like Jesus suffered too. What Peter is reminding his original audience and what he's reminding us today is this, that God has, forgotten, has not forgotten us in the midst of our suffering. God doesn't have it out for us in the midst of our hard times. It's not like God is sitting up in heaven and he wants to make us squirm and he thinks that we are there for his amusement. God deeply cares for us. See, God can use evil for good. One pastor says that God is doing tens of thousands of things in your life, and you might be aware of three or four of them, the max. When you suffer, God is doing tens of thousands of things in your life, and you might not understand any of them. You might not get to see what God is doing, what God is working on in your life, how he is using your hardships to spread the gospel and for your good. But God is at work. God is providing us with open doors to share the gospel. God is providing us with chances to plant seeds that someone else might water and God would give the growth. We don't know what God is doing in the midst of our hard times. But we look at Jesus and we know that God can use suffering. And that's why Jesus is our hope in hard times. Let's look at at verse 18 again for another reason why Jesus is our hope in hard times. Again, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Peter points out that Jesus is not just a model and and an encouragement for us. Jesus is also a substitution for us. When we suffer here on the face of, of this world, when we suffer, it's because we sin. Uh, When we suffer, it's because we live in a broken, hurting, and fallen world. But when Jesus suffered, it was because he suffered to end our suffering. Jesus' suffering ends our suffering. He brings us to God in the midst of our suffering. That's what this second reason is, that Jesus' suffering reminds us that we have been brought to God. Jesus' suffering reminds us that we have been brought to God. Look at the first phrase in in verse 18 here. It says, but Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ also suffered once for sins. It doesn't say that he died for our sins. When you think of the crucifixion, when we think of why Jesus died, we we have a, a reason for that. Jesus died for us to be reconciled to God. That was what Jesus's death did for us. But have you ever wondered or wrestled through why did Jesus suffer too? Why didn't God just cause Jesus to die? Why wasn't he put to death mercifully so that he could be an atonement for our sins? Why did Jesus die in such a painful way? I think there are a couple reasons that scripture uh, teaches us, and one of them is that it's to fulfill prophecy. God fulfills prophecy that has been spoken about Jesus suffering, not just dying for us. It says in Isaiah 52, 14, it says this, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. See, God prophesied 
that Jesus would suffer for us, that it would happen in this way. And it's very similar in the next chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, uh, verse 10 through 12. I'm just going to read the beginning of, of verse 10 here. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why did Jesus suffer? Because it was God's will. It was God's will for Jesus to suffer. That might sound a bit odd. That might sound a little bit harsh. But hear me out. This is important for us to understand. Jesus suffered because God wanted him to. Part of God's will for Jesus was for him to suffer for humanity, to bring humanity to God. But the question remains, well, is that necessary? Was it necessary for Jesus to suffer? After all, it was God's will for Jesus to suffer. But if it was his will, it could have just as easily been not his will for Jesus to suffer. So is there anything that, we, uh, that is added to what Christ did on the cross through his suffering? Or to put it another way, is anything missing if Jesus wouldn't have died such a painful death where he suffered for a long time? And I think that the answer to that question is one that's really humbling, uh, one that's really important for us to understand, uh, that Jesus didn't just suffer for us uh, as a punishment for our sins. See, when we think of Christ's suffering, we think that, well, the reason he suffered was because God was pouring out his wrath on Jesus, that he suffered because that's what humanity was destined for, and that's why he suffered. That's not all wrong, but, but that's not the primary focus, I think, for why Christ suffered for us, because it paints, Christ, it paints God as a, as a cruel judge and nothing more. I think that the suffering of Jesus tells us more about humanity than it tells us about God. It tells us what humanity is like more than it tells us what God is like. You see, Pilate wanted to torture Jesus and then release him without the substitutionary death. The Jews walked up to Jesus, had him arrested, spit in his face, mocked him, called him a fraud. The Roman soldiers beat him almost to death, shoved thorns into his skull, mocked him themselves, and left him to suffocate to death on a cross. When you look at all of these things, it shows us just how wicked humanity is, just how much evil humanity is capable of. When you look at the suffering of Jesus, we're reminded how wicked this world is. But the amazing truth is, Jesus did it anyway. Jesus continued on God's plan for him anyway. Christ went to the cross, and that is incredible, wonderful, amazing grace that he shows us at the cross He bore the wickedness of humanity and died for us anyway. See, Jesus' suffering on our behalf reminds us of our status. It reminds us that we are now brought to God, that we who were once enemies of God are now family, that God is not punishing us because we are a part of his family. If it was God's will for Jesus to suffer, then it might be God's will for you to suffer too. It might be God is using your hardship and your hard times to draw him close to you, to use it to spread the gospel throughout our city, throughout our region, and throughout our world. God might want to use it for your good 
and for his glory. And that's why it is good news that Jesus is our hope in hard times and why we can trust in him. Because we have been brought to God. Let's keep reading, picking up in verse 19. It says, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. I'm going to be honest uh, with you right here at the start. This is one of the, probably the five hardest passages in scripture to understand. Uh, and, and I'm lucky enough to get to throw my hat in the ring and, and say what I, I think that Peter is trying to tell us here. There are lots of questions that come up from these verses. There are a lot of different interpretations that come from these two verses. And, and I'm going to share my interpretation with you, but I want to be clear from the very start that there are a lot of people who are uh, smarter than me, who are wiser than me, uh, very godly people who have a very different interpretation of this passage. In fact, up in Spirit Lake, uh, our senior pastor who's preaching the same text has a very different interpretation uh, of what Peter is saying here. We, we differ on, on the minutia, on the details, but we have to keep in mind the large picture of what God is trying to say here. And, and on that case, uh, Pastor Kurt and I are on the same page, and everyone really lands on the same page. You see, this is written in the midst of an encouragement for Christians as they are suffering. So whatever it's actually saying, it's telling us that. It's telling us that this is an encouragement for us when we suffer. And as we dive into this passage, we're going to see this. That Jesus is our hope in hard times because God will deliver us from those who cause us to suffer. God will deliver us from those who cause us suffering. That's what these verses are trying to tell us on the the 10,000 foot level. Now we're going to jump into maybe more of the ground level and see specifically what he's trying to argue here. But let's not forget that 10,000 foot level uh, that this is being told to us because God will deliver us from those who cause us to suffering. So keep that purpose in mind. So what is Peter saying here? When he says all this stuff about Noah and the spirits in prison and, and Jesus going to preach to them, what is he saying here? I think this is what he's trying to tell us. He says, uh, during Noah's life, while Noah was building the ark, he was also calling his generation to repentance. He was also uh, actually asking them to repent, to, to believe in God so that they could join him on the ark. That's all this passage is trying to tell us. Okay? That is what it is saying. Now, some uh, interpretations say that this passage is telling us that, uh, that Jesus, after he died, uh, and in between his death and his resurrection, he went and preached to people, to spirits that were in prison. Uh, or some people think that it happened after Jesus' resurrection. Some people think that uh, they're people, and, and others think they're spirits, and it's really, really confusing. But a couple reasons why I think that it's just simply that uh, God spoke through Noah, through Noah to call the people of his day to repentance. A couple reasons for that. If you look at, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, we see that uh, the spirit of Jesus spoke through prophets uh, in the Old Testament. Okay? So there's this phrase, the spirit of Jesus spoke through prophets in the Old Testament, that God is, is speaking through the prophets about Jesus. And it's this phrase, spirit of Jesus, that is used to refer to the spirit of prophecy, that God is at work in the Old Testament. Second, we see this word preached. Now, when you look at Scripture, uh, especially the New Testament, when the word preached is being used, uh, it's 
almost always being, being used to, to proclaim repentance or to call people to believe in the good news. It's very rarely used to refer to someone going and, and pronouncing victory over someone else. And that's what uh, other interpretations say. So this is a call to repentance, just like other passages in Scripture. If you look here, it, it mentions spirits. And, and some people say, well, maybe that's just referring to like evil spirits and, and all of this you know, fanatical stuff is being talked about here. And, and some people do interpret that way. But also when you look at the word spirits, it can also be used to refer to humans who have died and now their spirit still lives on before the resurrection of the dead. And they're just a disembodied spirit. I think that it's referring here to people who during the time of Noah didn't believe and now exist as spirits. And then another uh, reason for this is that uh, some people say that if Jesus did this in between his resurrection and his, his death, then he, he, went and, he went and spoke to, to people uh, from Noah's day. And the question that I have in that situation is, why doesn't God, if, if it's Jesus, is going to preach to people uh, in between his death and his resurrection or, or after his resurrection, why didn't Jesus go and offer this preaching to people from Abraham's day, from, uh, from David's day, from Isaiah's day? It makes no sense to understand this as referring to people as a whole because it's only the people during Noah's day and age. So what Peter is doing is using this in the exact same way that we use biblical stories here on Sunday mornings. When we look at David or, or Stephen or, or Joseph, we look at those stories as a way to encourage us in our life, how it applies to our own lives. And that's what Peter is doing in this passage. He's saying, all right, here's the story of Noah. And this is how this works out. This endurance in the midst of hard times works out in your life. There are several parallels between Peter's audience and, and Noah's situation. I just want to go through a couple of them. First of all, Noah lived in a very corrupt society, but he was a righteous man. Uh, actually, scripture tells us that he was the only righteous person on the face of the planet when he lived. He was a righteous man surrounded by a corrupt society. Think to Peter's own context, to the people he's writing to. They were the righteous few surrounded by a corrupt society. And God used Noah because of his obedience. And what Peter is saying is God can use you too. It doesn't matter how wicked the society is around you. God can use you just like he used Noah. Another thing is Noah called people to repentance and he faced ridicule. While Noah was building the ark, he was, he was calling people to repent. His desire was for them to join him on the ark to escape God's judgment on the world. And yet they didn't respond with repentance. They responded with ridicule. Again, in, in Peter's context, the people of Peter's day, the Christians were calling those who were around them to repent. They were following God's plan, and they were faced with ridicule, just like Noah was. And God delivered Noah, and God will deliver them too. And there are many other uh, parallels, but that's the last one I just want to focus on, that God delivered Noah from his slanderers, from those who caused him to suffer. And God delivered Noah from judgment. And God will do the same for Peter's audience too. See, Peter points back to the story of Noah 
and says, you know, we've seen God do this before. And because we've seen God do it in the past, we know God is going to do it in our lives too. That we will one day be delivered from suffering. We will one day be delivered from the coming judgment. And that is reason to trust in Jesus as our hope in hard times. Think about what this means in the United States. I think more and more commonly today, this is becoming more and more applicable to us here in the United States. Noah, again, was a righteous man in the midst of a corrupt society, and yet he was faithful. And God can do the same thing in our lives. God can do that for us. If you find yourself as an island in the midst of a torrential ocean of immorality, look at the story of Noah. God delivered him. God saved him from those who persecuted him, those who caused him to suffer. And God can and God will do that for us too. God's work in the past is good for us in the future. It's a way for us to understand God at work. Jesus is a reminder and the assurance that God will deliver us just like Noah. Let's keep reading, uh, looking at verse 21. It says, this, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fourth reason why we can hope in Jesus uh, in our hard times is because your baptism is a sign of God's mercy. Your baptism is a sign of God's mercy for you. See, after Peter gives this example of Noah and the flood and how God used it to deliver them from those who uh, wanted to harm them, he, he talks about the flood and then he connects that to our baptism. He says that baptism is a, is a reason for us to trust in God's mercy. Is he saying that baptism is a source of of salvation for us. That baptism is the reason that God has saved us. There's the way that God saves us. No, that's, that's not what he's saying. Remember, he just mentioned that this is not an, a removal of dirt. He's not saying that this is just a, a, a ritual that will save us from this world. It's not an outward ritual that saves. Because of that, we here at Crosswinds will say that infant baptism does not save you. But also at the same time, believer's baptism does not save you. Jesus saves you. It's more than just a symbolic purification. See, baptism is a plea to God for mercy. If you look at the the way that he describes it here, he says that this is an appeal to God for a good conscience. And a biblical baptism is a recognition from us that no one on the face of this planet can save us except for God. It's a symbolic way of crying out to God, asking for him to come and to save us. It's it's an outward statement of saying that we fully depend on God and his mercy and on his grace. And I want to ask you this morning, what is it that you appeal to for salvation? Or to put it another way, if someone comes up to you and asks you, what is the reason why you are saved? How do you know that you are saved? What What is your answer? For some of us, it would be our baptism. For others, it's because I prayed a prayer or I I read the Bible uh, and pray pretty frequently. Those are the things that we appeal to for salvation. But what is Peter saying here? He's saying that baptism is an appeal to God for us to be shown mercy. That God would save us 
baptism is an outward sign of an inner working of God. This is why we believe in believer's baptism here at Crossman's Church. We think that the, uh, the scriptures teach us that baptism is a response to uh, hearing the good news and believing in that good news. But also at the same time, because baptism is something that God does and it's not something that we do, we don't say that baptism has to be requirement for membership here. You don't have to be baptized as a believer to become a member at our church because God saves us, not our baptism. You see, baptism is, is good news for us. It's, a, it's an appeal to God. It's a reason why we can trust in Jesus because it reminds us that what we have received from God is completely undeserved. It's not something that we could work for because God has given us mercy that we don't deserve and there's nothing that we can do to continue to deserve that mercy. There's nothing that we can do to keep ourselves in God's hands, but it's rather what God has done and what God is continuing to do in our lives. You see, Jesus is our hope in hard times because our baptism is a sign of his mercy for us. Let's look at the last verse here and see the final reason why we can trust in Jesus for hope says this, who is Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The final reason why we can trust in Jesus in the midst of our hard times is this, that Jesus now reigns over those who cause us pain. Jesus now reigns over those who cause us pain. See, one of the most important truths that we have to understand when we are suffering is that God still reigns. When we experience hard times, we tend to do the opposite. We, t- we tend to doubt that God is in charge. We tend to doubt that he is working, that he is even present, or even that he cares. But that's not what Peter is saying here. Peter is saying that the key is not to forget God in the midst of your hard times. It's not to uh, work on your life yourself and then come back to God when things are better. The key to making it through hard times is to remember that Jesus is still in charge, to remember that Jesus is still victorious, to remember that Jesus still reigns. And this is what the apostles do in the book of Acts. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, God sends out these 12 men to be missionaries throughout the entire world, but first just in Jerusalem. And as they are in Jerusalem proclaiming this good news, they are arrested by the Jewish authorities. They are tortured by those same authorities and they are sent out. They are released from them saying that, okay, we're going to let you go, but just don't talk about Jesus anymore. And in those situations, when you see what would happen and what would come next, you'd think that what would come next would be them saying, wow, what's, what's the deal, God? I'm, I'm following you here, and yet it's leading me to hardship. It's leading me to, to suffering. Are you really still there? Do you still care what I'm going through? Do you really still reign? That's what many of us would say, and yet that's not what the apostles say. What comes next is they, they begin singing praises to God. And the, the thing that they focus on time and time again is they are suffering, and as they are singing, is that they are singing and rejoicing that Jesus still reigns, that he is still in charge. That's the main focus of their songs. You might be wondering, well, why is that good news? Why is it good news that God is in charge even when I suffer? Well, it's good news because it means that Satan is on a chain. See, uh, later on in the book of First Peter, uh, Peter refers to 
Satan as a roaring lion, going around wanting to devour anyone that he is able. But Peter here is reminding us that even though that's true, even though that Satan wanders like a roaring lion that, that wants to devour us, he's on a leash. He, can no, he can't go anywhere without the permission of the one who holds the leash, and that is Jesus. You see, it's not only Satan who is ruled by Christ, but also those who condemn us, those who slander us, who revile us, who cause us to suffer. And this verse here is reminding us that Jesus is not just our king. Jesus is their king too. And they must someday come before him. And they must someday share why their reasoning for what they have done in their lives. You see, remember, Isaiah 53 tells us that it was God's will for Jesus to suffer. It might be God's will for us to suffer too, but if that is God's will, it isn't because it's a lack of love. It isn't because God doesn't rule and reign still today. He could be using it in ways that we have never imagined. And that's another reason why Jesus is our hope in hard times, because he reigns over those who cause us pain. When you suffer, when you experience hardship in this life, Jesus is your hope. He is the one who will get you through those difficult times. Last week, as we were working our way through the previous section, we saw that the key to enduring suffering is to focus on Jesus, to look at Jesus. And today, it's, it's really the exact same thing, that Jesus is our hope in hard times because he serves as an encouragement to us. Jesus is our hope in hard times because he has brought us to God, because he has delivered us, because through his baptism, he has shown us God's mercy, and because he still reigns. And it's our prayer here at Crosswinds Church, that would be true in your lives, that in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of the hard times that you experience, that you would place your hope in Jesus because he is worthy of that hope, and he's worthy of that trust. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for what you have done for us. We are blown away by the work of Christ on the cross, the significance of what that has done for us. And God, when we experience hardship, when we experience times of reviling and suffering and slander, God, I pray that we would look to you, that we would focus on you in those times. And as we focus on you, that we would be able to continue to endure. That as you are our hope, that you would get us through those difficult times. And that we would glorify you in all that we do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.